So if you have your Bible, why don't you open up with me to Hebrew chapter 10, verse 19 to 25. We're going to read together from verse 19 to 25, but before we do that, let me just say congratulations for most of you, because we just finished one of the most complex arguments you can find in the whole Bible, right? Okay, it was very complex, I give you that, but you guys passed with HUD, okay? And last week, we talked about the grand conclusion of what it means for Jesus to be the once-for-all sacrifice. And I hope it really speaks to you the way it really speaks to my heart, okay? And today, you're going to learn about the response to that. What is the appropriate response to Jesus' once-and-for-all sacrifice, okay? And we're going to read together from verse 19 to verse 25, okay? In count of three. One, two, three. Therefore, brothers... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us to the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have great praise over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful." And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Okay, I titled the sermon, Gospel People. Some of you are like, wait, that sounds familiar. Of course, you'll know why. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for this word that you have given to us. And I pray, Lord, in the next 45 minutes and 50 minutes that you help us to understand your word. Not only understand, but Holy Spirit, I pray that you make it come alive in our heart, burn it in our heart, so that we really know what does it mean for us to be gospel people. Help us, Lord, because my word is limited, but your word is unlimited. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, wherever we are, in our living room, in our bedroom. You are not limited by time and space. You can transform our heart as we listen to your word. Do that in our midst. I surrender everything into your mighty hand. Amen. Does anyone know the name Reed Hastings? Now, if you don't, you're about to find out in the next few minutes. So what happened was, in the year 2000, Reed Hastings approached the CEO of Blockbusters to convince him to buy his business. Okay? So if you don't know what a Blockbuster is, Blockbuster is like the largest video rental in America. Okay, it's equivalent to Australia Video Easy. Okay, some of you might question, what the heck is Video Easy? Well, back in the days, if you want to watch a movie, we have this option. First, you can go to the cinema and watch the movie, or you can wait a few months and then actually drive to a video rental store to rent the movie that you want, and then you bring it home. That's how you can watch movie from your home. And a few days later, you actually have to go back to the video rental store to return the video or else you will get charged with late fee. So we actually have to put some effort to watch movie from home. It's hard to believe, I know, for some of you guys, like, that doesn't make sense, right? Different generation. So Reed Hastings actually came to Blockbuster CEO and said, you know what, I have a brilliant business idea that I think will ha has great potential for success. What happened is people are getting lazier every day with everything available online. Now people want everything online. So people want things to be easy for them. So here's my business idea. My business actually allow people to rent a movie online. So they actually get to pick what movie they want and we're going to mail it to them. And then together with that, we're going to send them a written envelope for them to send it back to us. So they don't have to go to the video rental store. And not only that, but they actually can make a playlist online of all the movies that they want to watch. And when they're done with one movie, we will send them the next movie. Isn't that a brilliant idea? And the blockbuster CEO replied, I think that only few people will have interest in Netflix. So he declined the opportunity to buy Netflix. But that's not the end of the story. So what's amazing is that a few years later, um, Netflix returned to Blockbuster again to offer a better idea. So Reed told them, you know what? 
with the new broadband internet, with the new super fast internet, we can do so much more. Here's what we can do. Together, Netflix and broadband, we can make people do not know how to read because they will never read. We can make people stay in bed all day to watch our TV show from 15 to 20 years ago. In fact, we can make them forget about their life and just simply stay at home all day long watching TV show. And let's not, let's not give them the option whether they want to watch the next episode or not. Let's give them the countdown. So the moment they finish one episode, the countdown begins. And then the next episode starts. And they're like, okay, too late now. I have to watch it. Let's make the world a dumber place. Together we can do it. Okay, That's my paraphrase, by the way. I'm pretty sure that's not what's happened. But what happened is, blockbuster decline. Now, quick question. How many of you are still go to video rental store <laughs> to watch to rent a movie? Okay. How many of you use Netflix? How many of you are on Netflix right now as you're listening to this sermon? Dude, turn it off. That's not cool, okay? But this is example of what happened when people forgot their identity and what they're supposed to do. Because Blockbuster thought that they were in video rental business, but that's not true. Blockbuster pastor was in the home entertainment business. They rejected Netflix because they did not remember their identity and their role. Okay. How does it just relate to us? The same can be said about us. We need to remember who we are and our role or else we may get sidetracked and we lost the purpose of why we are here. See, if you do not know, one of our RSI hashtag is Hashtag gospel people. We are the gospel people. And one of the reasons why I wear this wristband all the time with the gospel people written in it is to remind myself of my identity, of our identity, that we are gospel people. So, But the question is, what does it mean for us to be gospel people? Because it's crucial for us to know because if we don't remember our identity and our role, it's only a matter of time before everything falls apart very quickly. For example, see, our generation, we have created a brand new categories that is never heard in church history before. Two, there are two categories. The first one is this, unchurched Christian. So they say that you can be a Christian without being planted in any church because Christianity ultimately is about your personal relationship with God. That is not wrong. However, second category, online Christian. They say, well, you don't have actually to attend on-site worship to be a Christian. You can simply tune into different online church service from your home, and that is as good as on-site worship. But the author of Hebrew today will destroy these false categories because today, passage, we're going to learn what does it mean for us to be gospel people. And in this passage, there's a big turnaround because ultimately what happened in the last couple of chapters is this. We have a lot of doctrines, right? We've been taught about priesthood, you know, covenant, everything. Like, poof, it just explode our head. But now there's a shift because now it changed from explanation to application. Or if you want to be fancy with it, there's a shift here in the book from doctrine to duty. So from this moment forward, you'll have, you hear a lot of application, right? The sermon will be very practical. Because here's what the author essentially say. The author tells us that Jesus' perfect work in the new covenant not only changes our relationship with God, but also our relationship with one another. The new covenant not only changes our relationship with God, oh no, but the way we relate with one another. And in this passage, we will find three different let us, okay? And my sermon is separated based on the three let us, three points. We are the people of faith, the people of hope, and the people of love. Let's look at the first one, the people of faith, verse 19 to 22. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and so we have a great praise over the house of God, let us draw near with true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now our passage today begins with the word therefore. 
it functions as a link between cause and effect. So the order basics is that in the light of everything that we have learned about Jesus' sacrifice, his covenant, tabernacle, of blood in the last couple of weeks, in the light of his once-for-all sacrifice, now you and I, we have the confidence to enter the holy places. Now, do you know what the word confidence means? The idea is to be able to speak freely. It's been having the freedom to say whatever we want without fear of being rejected by the other party. Okay, it's like this. Parent, imagine your five-years-old boy comes to you to ask you for something. Okay, how does he do it? Does he think beforehand, hmm, I wonder what should I say to my parents in order for them to give me what I want? Or you know what? Maybe I should say something good about them. Maybe I should praise them. That will make them happy, right? And after that, I will tell them, Mommy, Daddy, I love you. And when I do that perfectly, their hearts will melt and they will give me what I want. Does any five-year-old boy think like that? No, right? What will they do? He will just simply come to you and ask you for what he wants. Why? Because he has the confidence. Because he has the audacity to trust in his parents. And that is the picture that the order gives us. For you and me, this might not sound radical, but it is for the Jews. Think about it. For thousands of years, they've been taught to never enter the holy place. Only the high priests have access to enter the holy place, and only the high priest can do that once a year. And the high priest, whenever he's entered the holy place, he has to do that with extreme carefulness and measure. Because he, if he entered wrongly, he could die on the spot just like that. Bam, died. So the system and the structure in the old covenant actually tell us to stay away from the holy place. Not to draw near, to stay away. But the order of Hebrew now has the audacity to tell us, listen, God wants us to draw near with confidence. So that means we have open access to God. In the old covenant, only the high priest can enter the presence of God once a year. But in the new covenant, every believer has access to enter God's presence at all time. Well, you ask, well, how is that possible? Okay, let's review, let's recap what happened in the last couple of sermons. First of all, it's because we have the perfect sacrifice. The first reason we have access to God's presence is because of the blood of Jesus. Jesus is our perfect sacrifice. Here's what happened. In the old tabernacle, remember there was a thick curtain that separated the most holy place from the rest of the tabernacle. And only the high priest can enter that holy place once a year. And when he does that, he has to make sure that he carry with him sacrifices of bull and goats. He has to carry blood, otherwise he will be killed on the spot. And when he does that, he actually does it on the behalf of the whole nation of Israel. But in the new covenant, we do not need bulls and goat anymore. Why? Because the order tells that we have the new and living way. It is a new way because it was not accessible in the old covenant. And it's a living way. Why? Because Jesus died as a sacrifice, but then he's resurrected and then he lived forever. So in the new covenant, what happened is Jesus offered himself as the perfect sacrifice. And you know what happened when Jesus died at the cross? This is amazing. When Jesus offered himself as the perfect sacrifice, Luke tells us that darkness engulfed Israel. And not only that, but when Jesus' body was torn apart at the cross, at the same time, the curtain that separated God's presence from his people was torn apart from top to bottom, brack like that. What does it mean? It means by Jesus' sacrifice, Jesus opened the access to God's presence for you and me. That's the first reason. The second reason, we have the perfect high priest. So Jesus not only gave us the access to God's presence, but he also entered God's presence to mediate for you and me. Let me speak a little bit more about high priests. So I told you before that high priest can only enter the most holy place once a year. But I did not tell you that when high priest enters the most holy place, he will actually wear a breastplate with 12 stones in the breastplate. And each stone actually represents 
the tribes of Israel. There are 12 tribes. So when the high priest actually enters God's presence, he does so on the behalf of the whole tribes of Israel, 12 of them, on the behalf of God's people. So then, in other words, he actually stands in the gap between God and his people. He mediates for them. And my friend, that is exactly what Jesus does for you and me. See, Jesus, when he comes to the throne of God, when he enters God's presence, he don't no longer wear a breastplate or no, but he actually carries you and me in him. Because when we put our faith in Jesus, we are found in Jesus. So Jesus is right now, he's praying, interceding, standing in the gap between God and us. He is a mediator. And that is why he is in the presence of God, praying for us so that God will always, always accept us. Let me put it in one picture. Imagine you are traveling to Washington, D.C., right? And you want to visit the White House because that's one of the things that you do when you visit Washington, right? White House. So you arrive at the airport and you find an Uber driver that can take you to the White House, right? You get the application and then the Uber driver picks you up and drives you to the White House. And on the way to the White House, the Uber driver says, hey, Mike, that's the White House. And you look from far with amazement like, wow, what a glorious place. I wish, I just wish I can enter the White House. And to your surprise, your Uber driver actually takes you to the entrance of the White House. And you're like, there's no way, right? There's no way we can be accepted into the White House. There's security that will make sure that we will not get near the White House. But when you get to the security check, you are surprised because apparently the security guy knew the driver. But the security guy did not know you. So he asked the question, who is this guy? And the driver, your driver said, well, it's okay. He's with me. And just like that, you pass through the security. And not only that, then you enter the White House and your Uber driver being nice and kind to you, he actually become your tour guide and explain to you different areas of White House until eventually you get to this wonderful place that you are familiar with because you've seen it a lot in movies. You've seen that door a lot, you know, the door to the presidential office. And you're just like, what shall I do? What shall I do? And to your amazement, your Uber driver have the audacity to actually open the door for you and welcomes you in. He ushers you in into the office. So you walk in, and to your surprise, inside the office, you saw the president of the United States of America. You are in the president of the uh, you're in the presence of the president of USA. So you look to your Uber driver and you ask, "Who are you?" And he replies, so that it might consistent with our series in the book of Hebrews. He replied, "I am the better Uber driver." This is exactly what Jesus does for us. See, he not only gives us the access to God's presence, oh no, my friend, but what he does is actually he picks you up and then he drives you to God's throne. And not only that, then he ushers you in the presence of God and then he is with you in the presence of God. And that is the only reason that we can draw near to God is because Jesus is with us every single step of the way. And this is the gospel. And this is our reality today. See, there's only one ticket to God's presence. And that ticket is not by going to the temple in Jerusalem. That ticket is not by coming to church. Oh no, your ticket, my ticket to the presence of God is because we have the high priest and we have the perfect sacrifice. Jesus is our only ticket to God's presence. And the good news is we already have it. Okay? That's verse 19 to verse 21. But then the order will give us the first let us. In the light of this truth, wonderful truth, what should we do? Verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from evil conscience and our body washed with pure water. The first implication is for us to draw near to God in faith. And the good news is we do not need to make appointment to draw near to God. 
There's a never a wrong time to come to God. You might come to Him at 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning, 7 in the morning, doesn't matter. We have the assurance, it doesn't matter when, God will never, ever, ever reject us when we come to Him. We have the assurance of that when we come to Him in faith. And our assurance is not in the strength of our faith, but on the object of our faith. Our assurance is not subjective feeling, whether what we feel like it or not, no. But our assurance is actually objective truth. Here's why. We have a full assurance that God always welcomes us when we draw near. Because we do not draw near based on our works, but Jesus' perfect work. Jesus' blood has cleansed our conscience and the Holy Spirit has washed us and renewed our life. That is why now there's an invitation for you and we draw near to God. But let me ask you a few questions. Why? Why do we draw near to God? What is the goal of us drawing near? What benefit do we get from drawing near to God? And that's crucial. Because many people draw near to God for wrong reason. Recently, uh, I was talking to someone who used to be a member of our church uh, back in the days. I haven't talked to her for many years, right? So, of course, uh, when, when you're talking to a pastor, you, you will eventually talk about Bible and theology. So we did. And after we talked for a little bit, she said this, I think you're teaching it's similar to J.P., and J.O., who focus on the New Testament. You teach grace and not law. And she mentioned that these two preachers are excellent and she loved to hear them online. Now, if you're wondering who these two preachers are, they're two of the most famous and well-known prosperity gospel preachers today. Okay. She thought, <laughs> she thought she was complimenting me. But no, I was offended, right? And I could not resist the temptation to explain to her why she was very, very wrong to equate me with these two names. But then she asked me a very good question. Well, how about if we become closer to God through their teaching, even though it might be wrong? And I'm like, that's a good question. And I replied, becoming closer to God it's not the measurement. Because many people draw close to God, but not because of God. They draw near to God because they want something from God. So what they want is not God, but what God can give to them. They're simply using God to get what they want. And needless to say, after this conversation, she hardly talked to me anymore. So it's a question for us though. Why? Why do we draw near to God? A few years ago, someone asked John Piper what was the most important book he ever wrote. And Piper replied without hesitation, God is the gospel. And I could not agree more. Because in this book, it's a small book, I do want to recommend you to read it if you haven't. In this book, Piper wrote that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not primarily about what we get from God. I mean, Praise God for all of that. I mean, praise God for the forgiveness of sin. Praise God that we are adopted into His family. Praise God for the eternal inheritance that we have in Jesus. Praise God for all of that. But the purpose of all those give is that so that we might draw near to God to get God. See, all the wonderful gift of the gospel make it possible for us to get God. Because God is ultimately the goodness of the gospel. He does not need us, but He gave us free access to draw near to Him so that He might satisfy us forever and completely by giving us Himself. That is the gospel, my friend. Not the gift, Him, God. And that is the reason we draw near. Gospel people, we draw near to God, not to get things from God. We draw near to God to get God. And that's the first thing. We are people of faith. We draw near because of that. But look at the second one. Let's look at the second letters. The people of hope. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now, this is the second letters. 
See, gospel people are people who hold fast to confession of their hope. Now, the word to hold fast means actually to, to never ever let it go. It's meant to have total devotion to Jesus and his gospel. It is to hold firm to the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord no matter what. And let me tell you, this is not easy at all. Especially if you consider the context of the book of Hebrew. What happened? Remember there are many Jewish Christians who are tempted to walk away from Christianity and return to Judaism. Why? Because they found out that following Jesus was extremely hard. Because they faced severe persecution because of that. And not only that, but actually they experienced many loss. They lost self-esteem. They lost status in the eyes of their neighbors. And there's nothing they can do to regain the neighbor's approval as long they still associated themselves with Christianity. Okay, think about it. So now their family, their close family, the Jewish family will actually reject them for accepting Christianity. And not only the Jewish family reject them, but the communities, the Roman and the Gentiles, they will actually reject them as well. Why? Because Christians refuse to offer sacrifice to emperor. And that's the dangerous thing. So now, if you're a Jewish Christian, you are rejected by your society and you're rejected by your family. So following Jesus was actually very costly. And this is not only applicable to, to them, but also us. We live in a culture that's becoming more and more hostile toward Christianity. For example, today they call us bigots for holding to our belief that marriage is only reserved between male and female. And if you do not know, Victoria, the state of Victoria, has a new law that actually prohibits conversion therapy. It means that it won't be long for it become illegal for us to share the gospel and convert anyone to Christianity. So it's going to become harder and harder to follow Jesus. We're going to find out soon enough that following Jesus is costly. And the order is telling to us here, hold fast to the confession of your faith without wavering. Hold fast to the confession of your hope. Do not compromise. Stand firm no matter what. Be witness of Jesus even though it might hurt you. To which you say, how? I mean, if it's going to cost us so much, how can we have the confidence to hold fast to our hope? Listen though. Listen to the answer that the order of Hebrew give us. See, whenever we use the word hope, we are saying something that we wish to happen, but not necessarily happen. But when the Bible used the word hope, it used it very differently. Because the biblical definition of hope carries with it the idea of certainty. Biblical hope is not something that we wish for. Biblical hope is something that will happen without fail. And because our hope does not lie on circumstances or situation, our hope is not empty. There's substance to our hope. And what is that? Listen to the second half of verse 23. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. In other words, get this right. The power to hold fast to our confession in the faithfulness of God is the faithfulness of God. We do not put our hope in our strength to hold on to God, but in God's faithfulness to hold on to us. Because God is faithful to us, we can be faithful to Him. And that's the idea. So the fact that we can remain firm in our hope, in our confidence, is not because we are able, no, but because we look at the faithfulness of God. He has proved Himself to be faithful. How do we know? Well, just look at what happened in the last couple of chapters. God promised, and not only God promised, He actually dealt with our problem of sin once and for all. How? He gave us Jesus Christ to be our perfect sacrifice. He gave us Jesus Christ to be our high priest. And Jesus completed His task perfectly without blemish. And it is impossible for God to lie. For God to be God Every promise he made, every word that come out of his mouth must come to fruition. For if God lie, that moment, at that very moment, God ceased to be God. For God to be God, he cannot, cannot utter a word that, cannot, that do not come true. 
But not only that, not only God gave us His promise, but the author of Hebrew also tells us that God made an oath and He swore that Jesus Christ is high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So hold on to Him. God will not fail us. He showed us once and for all through Jesus Christ that He is faithful to us. And that is the reason we can be faithful to Him. Gospel people are people who hold fast to the confession of hope. That's the second one. But look at the third one. The people of love. Verse 24 to verse 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, this is the third letter. Have you ever heard of Sunday sickness? Now, let me make a confession. I used to get Sunday sickness a lot when I was a kid. Okay? And the symptoms were very interesting. I mean, this sickness does not interfere with my appetite or affect daily activities. I mean, we can do a regular routine activity without pain. And watching TV seems to help us. Okay, in my case, watching Doraemon and Power Rangers on Sunday morning. The only symptom is we cannot get up and go to church. Strangely, we usually do not feel it on Saturday. We're fine on Saturday. But the sickness hit right about the time when we should come to church. And the sickness never lasts more than a couple of hours. The moment about the time the church service is over, somehow, suddenly we got better. Suddenly, we are able to get up and do our activities. And lo and behold, we're fine on Monday morning to go to work. And we're fine for the rest of the week. No problem whatsoever. But strangely, this Sunday sickness hits again the next Sunday. Anyone know what I'm talking about? It is very common sickness among us, right? Especially considering the fact that right now, today, you can easily tune in to online service. But the order of Hebrew argued that gospel people should not have Sunday sickness. He argued that there's no such thing as a lone ranger Christianity. We must get this. Yes, Christianity is a personal faith, but it is a community project. It is true, it is very true that a person does not have to go to church in order to become a Christian. But a husband also do not need to come home to be married. But what happened is it will destroy his marriage. See, gospel people are people of love. Gospel people are people of community. Now listen, listen to my heart. Community, my friend, is not a choice. Never is. And what I mean by community is not simply coming to church service. See, the author of Hebrew will explain to us soon that what he means by community is people that we can meet together, people that we can, you know, that can consider, that can encourage and stir up one another. And we can't do this on Sunday service. Well, technically we can, but it will take about eight hours to finish the whole service. So it's not, it's not a good option. But how we do this is actually through small community or what we know, what we call in Rasa as Messianic community, RMC. It requires RMC for us to grow in our Christian work. See, it requires a community we can, we can be known and know one another. It requires to be vulnerable with one another. In other words, here's what you must get. A true gospel community is not a TGIF community. It is a community where sinners do life together. And you know what happens when sinners do life together? There'll be many pains and heartbreak. There'll be many misunderstandings, many conflicts. It's going to be very ugly and messy. Why? Because it's a bunch of sinners living together. But the good news is as we do that together, what happens is God is actually shaping us into maturity in Christ. Oh, my friend, God can shape us through many ways. Yes, He can. But the primary ways God shapes us is through community. Now listen to what C.S. Lewis said. Christ works on us in all sorts of ways. But above all, He works on us through each other. We are carriers of Christ to each other. We are 
you are, I am, carrier of Christ to one another. That means when we go to church and when we join small community, see, we not only come to receive, but we also come to serve one another, okay? There's maturity to it, okay? And what we need to do, there are four things. There are four characteristics of gospel community that the order of Hebrew give us. The first one is actually to consider. It's meant for us to stop and think, to ponder. It is the same word that the author of Hebrew told and used for us to consider Jesus. It means just as we are told to always be thinking about Jesus, we are ought to be always thinking about one another. So when we come together in an MC, in a small community, every individual in the MC needs to ask this question, how can I help him grow? How can I help her grow? So we don't just come, you know, to meet and have fun. That's good. But there's intentionality about why we gather together. We actually want to help one another grow in their walk with Christ. It's like what a counselor do. I don't know if you have met a counselor. But if you go see a counselor, then you realize that counselor love to take notes. Okay? So as the patient brought their heart, why so angry with the world, why he's so upset and everything, the counselor will continuously write down things on their note to ask the question, well, how can I help this guy get over his anger? Well, how can I help her get over his ex-boyfriend? You know, her ex-boyfriend. So they'll be taking notes all the time. And that's the kind of thing that the author of Hebrew is telling us to do. Well, not the taking note part. That would be weird, right? Hey, Josh, how are you? And he tells me everything. Right on. Nah, don't do that. But it means that when we meet one another, we are already thinking about this question. How can I help take grow? How can I help him grow? Ladies, you are usually great at this. Men, however, we suck. But we got to learn. Because that's the idea. When we come together in a community, we think about what we can do to serve one another. So we're not consumers. We are givers. But the second thing that needs to happen in a community is stir up. Now, this is a funny one. Do you know what this word Greek means in Greek? The word stir up mean actually means to irritate one another. <laughs> Some of you are like, yes, that's easy. That's my spiritual gift. Okay? Some of us naturally irritate one another without even trying, okay? But that is not the kind of irritating that the order has in mind. See, we are told to irritate one another to love and good works. It's meant to sharply disagree and confront one another because we love that person. Not that for the sake of confrontation, no, no, for the sake of love. And we desperately need that kind of people in our life to sharply confront us and disagree with us. Because if we don't have that kind of people, we will, not, we will not grow. So you know this verse, Proverbs 27, verse 17. You hear it all the time. Iron as sharpen iron, but one man sharpen another. Do you know how iron sharpen iron? Not by hugging, not by complimenting. Oh no, iron sharpen iron by rubbing them, by rubbing each other the wrong way. And that's what we're called to do. We are called to rub one another. And it's going to be painful why? Because all of us are sinners. All of us are sinners, which means we have blind spot in our life. And blind spot, by definition, is a spot that we are blind to. We cannot see. But other people can. And that is why we need them to confront us. We need them to point out to us our blind spot. And we need to do the same toward them. We need to be able to have the confidence to go out to them and tell them their blind spot. We need people like that in our life in order for us to grow. See, true friends, you know this, true friends are not people who always agree with us, but those who make us better. That's true friend. The question is, do we have that sort of people in our community? The sort of people that has the audacity to see us in the face and say, you should not do that. We need that. But the third thing is encourage. So we not only need to confront one another, but we also need to encourage one another. Now, the word encourage literally means to walk alongside. 
it's mean to put oneself in another shoe to support them and walk with them. With another word, we need people who speak grace into our life, who speak love into our life. And we also need to be the kind of people who speak grace, speak life, love into other people's life. And we need both. We need both confrontation and encouragement for us to grow in a community. So we cannot have all confrontation without encouragement. You will hate that community. But we also cannot have all encouragement without confrontation because you will not grow. A healthy gospel community does both. And listen to me. That means, listen, some of you need to stop being ninja Christian. You know what I mean by ninja Christian? Here's what I mean. No one knows you're there. I mean, you're at church, but you show up right when the church starts and you leave the moment the church ends. So no one actually gets to know who you really are. But your participation matters. Gospel people are people of community. People around you need you as much as you need people. And yes, my friend, you tell me, but it's not going to be easy. Yes, of course. See, this is the thing that can happen around us, right? We love the idea of loving people. But not many of us actually love people. Why? Because it's hard. It's difficult. It's convenient. The problem with loving people is it's involved people. It means it requires time. It requires energy, misunderstanding, confrontation. And maybe it also requires money, right? It is costly. And that is why it's easy for us just to walk away and neglect this. But if we want to thrive as gospel people, we need community. That's the only way we can thrive as Christians. And maybe, just maybe, the reason some of you are not growing in your Christianity is because we be, you've been avoiding Christian community. Which led me to the fourth criteria, fourth characteristic, meet together. Listen, if we neglect to meet together, we cut ourselves from the very mean God sustains people. Remember the context of the book of Hebrews. The Jewish Christian experienced threat to their life of being Christian. But you know what the orders say? Rather than, all right, guys, you just can hide and do whatever you want. But no, the order of Hebrew tell them, you got to meet together even more frequently. You got to risk your life because what's at stake is more than just your attendance. The order tell them to risk their life for the sake of meeting together. Why? Because see, the order understands something that we a lot of time take for granted. Community is the way God sustained our faith. And then he continued, that's as the day draw near, it should be a spiritual incentive for them to even meet, to meet together even more. The day here referred to Jesus' second coming. To which you ask, why us? Why does Jesus' second coming become a spiritual incentive for us to meet together more often? Here's why. Because as the day gets closer, it will become more and more difficult for Christian to be Christian. It's much easier for us to drift along with the culture, with our society, and get lost. So let's get more personal now, okay? Let's become more personal. Some of you might hate me for this. It's okay. I'm not denying the fact that you can find a better gospel-centered sermon online. Oh yeah, you find a lot better preacher than I am. Trust me. And I'm not denying the fact that we can easily find a better gospel-centered online church. There are many better online churches than us. I'm not denying it. You can easily access them in a matter of a few clicks. And there's a lot of pluses to all these online gospel-centered resources. I benefited from that. But listen to me. That is not enough. Because how can an online community, online church, online sermon actually confront you on your sin, encourage you in your weakness? How? How can they do that? How can they consider about you? It requires a real community. For example, parents. How do you parent your kid in the fear of God amid an LGBTQ society like ours? 
You can't do it alone. I mean, having the right theology, that's great, but right theology alone is not enough because you need other Christians to help you parent your children. You need other Christians to help you walk in the truth, otherwise you'll be swept away by this culture. See, you need your kids to witness other Christians worship God. And you need your kids to be taught, to be trained, to be discipled by other Christians in the church. They need that as much as you need the community. So you need people around you who lift that Christian truth together and help you grow. We are never designed to travel alone, never. We are designed to thrive as a Christian in a community. But then the author of Hebrews says something very interesting. He said that some people have the habit of neglecting to meet together. Okay, here's what I know about habit. We do not cultivate habits overnight. None, no. We do not cultivate habits of keeping church and community in one week. Oh, no, no, no. The habit of neglecting to meet together is the result of living unintentionally. So this is what happened. Let me give you the picture of what happened. And I'm going to finish. The first Sunday, you missed church because you were sick. I mean, that's a legit reason, right, to skip church, especially in the light of everything, COVID. You want to come to church when you're sick. Valid reason. Then the second Sunday, you missed church because of a birthday party. Well, this is a birthday party of someone who's close to you, so you can't say no. So you, okay, fine, you, you skip church, but you feel bad about it. But then you promise yourself, next week, I'm going to come to church. So the third Sunday, you were actually at church, and you feel good about it. You feel good about yourself, and you're blessed by the sermon, right? And at the fourth Sunday, well, you went on family holiday, and you can't do anything about it because you already planned the holiday from months prior. And the fifth Sunday, what happened was um, you find yourself behind at work. There's a project that due on Monday, you're not finished yet, and then, fine, you got to stay at home. So you stay at home, and you watch the sermon online. And the sixth Sunday, you're back at church and you feel good again. But then the seventh Sunday, you overslept. Why? Because you went hiking on Sunday morning and you're tired and you overslept and you missed church. Here's what happened. Before you knew it, before you realize it, it becomes so much easier for you to stay at home and just tune in online. Am I right? That's exactly what we must avoid. And let me tell you, when you do that, it feels like there's nothing wrong with it. And you justify yourself by saying, you know what, I still believe in God. I still give my offerings online, 10%, 15%, 20%. Well, I do not commit any adultery. I'm a good Christian. But the order of Hebrew tells us, listen, if you continue that pattern, it won't be long, it just won't be long before you live in sin and walk away from Christian faith. Next week's sermon. Strong warning. What happened when you continue to walk this path? Now, I am not saying it's always wrong for you to miss church gathering. I'm not saying that. There's legitimate reason why we can't avoid, why we can't skip church gathering. Like, for example, what we do today. Because of everything that happened, because of lockdown, because of the virus, we're not able to meet together. And for a good reason. We do not want to harm one another with virus, okay? For a good reason. So I'm not saying that it's always wrong for you to skip church. But I am saying that we should be very slow, very slow in thinking about skipping church. Because it won't be long before it becomes a habit just like that. Because that is the flow of our culture. So we should be very slow about missing Christian gathering. Yes, there are weeks that we can miss it, but that's exception, not the norm. Online church, that's exception, not the norm, my friend. Because here's my heart. Listen, yeah. What is at stake in neglecting to meet together is not our church attendance, but our faith in Christ. Because we desperately need one another to thrive in our Christian life. See, gospel people are people of community, people of love. There's just no way around that. Now, let me close with this. Building a healthy community is not easy. It requires a lot of hard work and pain. So the question is, well, how can we do that? 
Where do we get the power to love one another? See, that is why I think the order of Hebrew begins by reminding us that right now you and I have access to the throne of God. We can draw near to God's presence. We've been invited by God. You know what it means? It means that you and I today, we are part of God's inner ring. Now, C.S. Lewis mentions something very important. He says this, like, one of the great driving motivation of human heart is the desire to be accepted in the inner ring. See, we feel we have this urge that we want to be accepted by people that we admire, that people that we like. We want to be part of their inner circle, inner ring. And if we're not part of the inner ring, we feel insecure. We feel like we got to be part of them, right? See, all of us has this desire, this longing that we want to be recognized and accepted by people we like. Isn't that true? But my friend, here's the good news of the gospel. The order of Hebrew tells us because of Jesus, we have been accepted. We've been invited to God's inner ring. God's inner ring that consists of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And now you and I are able to draw near and become part of it. And we can enter that ring with confidence. How? Because Jesus the Son was rejected on our behalf. Jesus the Son took the rejection that you and I deserve so that you and I will always be welcome to God's inner ring. And when we know that we have fully accepted into the ultimate ring, it destroys our need. It destroys our need to get into other people's inner ring. Now we can freely love other people and help them to thrive in their walk with Christ because we have been accepted by God when we have the confidence that we will, will never be forsaken by God, that we are loved completely by God, that, my friend, radically transforms our relationship with one another. The gospel is the power for gospel community. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your words. Lord, if there's anything that I say that might hurt people in the wrong way, forgive me. But if there's anything that I say that hurt people in the right way, because it is your word, I pray, Lord, that you help us to repent. I pray that you give us a heart to be able to accept your word as it is. If, Lord, maybe we take this community for granted, forgive us. Or maybe we neglect to meet together, we take church gathering for granted, forgive us. Remind us the importance of community. And I pray that you burn that desire, Lord, to long to meet together. We're grateful, Lord. We are so grateful for online church. But Lord, our hearts are eager for the day, for the time that we can meet together. I pray that you burn that desire in us, Lord. And I pray that we become gospel community who love one another, who, who think about one another, consider one another, to stir up one another, to encourage one another. And help us do that, Lord. Because by our strength, we cannot. But by your grace, we can. The gospel is the power of God for gospel community. Do that in our midst. Amen.